previously on, because this thing is such a drama. It's such a uh, uh, days of our lives like soap opera that we're living through here as we walk through Joseph. Right? And, and the last time we saw Joseph, he had just been sold into slavery by his brothers. And we saw the real hard-heartedness and the evil of his brothers come out. And, and quite frankly, this is devastating for Joseph. Um, he will now spend the rest of his life in Egypt. He doesn't get to go back to his homeland, uh, except for brief visits later on. But Egypt, Egypt plays an important role in the Bible. It's a really interesting place when you start to compare it and how it reacts and responds and works with Israel. Um, it does some really interesting things. At this point in time in history, Egypt worshipped about 2,000 different gods and or goddesses. Uh, the idolatry in Egypt can't be understated. It's absolutely phenomenal, and it's an important point to note that it's the exact opposite of Israel and what they should be doing. Uh, idolatry will be Egypt's biggest sin, their largest sin, and we will see it infect the Israelites. Um, most prominently when they get to the wilderness and they form a calf god that Aaron makes. That is one of the gods from Egypt. Uh, 2,000 of them, you've got a lot to choose from. Uh, in the Bible, Egypt is a symbol for the world and for sin. It's never the place you want to go. Uh, if you remember, this Egypt, this is where lost, Lot lost his focus and became enraptured with the world, and he walked away from the Lord. He no longer followed him. This is where the Israelites will spend the next 400 years in captivity, getting slowly infected by this, uh, which is symbolic itself of man's captivity to sin and how we are trapped in sin. The kings of Israel, throughout the Israelite history that comes in, the kings of Israel are warned, don't deal with Egypt, don't make deals with them, don't trade with them, don't go back and forth with them, and they, of course, disobey and do that. Jeremiah, when Egypt is finally, when, excuse me, when Israel is finally overthrown, Jeremiah warns the remaining, the remnant, do not go to Egypt, don't go down there. And Egypt, at this time of year, Egypt is where Mary and Joseph will flee when they flee Herod. They will go down to Egypt. Egypt is not the place Israel wants to go. It's always the place that makes Israel sin, it makes Israel do the wrong thing, except in the case of, G of Jesus. Jesus is the point that's different there. Jesus does go down into Egypt, but Jesus does not sin in Egypt. He is not infected with them. That's what's so important about it. That's what's so amazing about it. Jesus does go down there, but he stays above the world. He is not sinful. He does not sin. Right? It's symbolic that he does that. It's part of him being tempted of the world, but not part of the world. Right? We don't want to get too much into that. That's a different sermon for a different time. Right, but we have to know that Jesus goes down to Egypt, but he does not sin in Egypt. But Egypt and Israel have a very complicated relationship, even to this day. Uh, as I tried to do some research here and look into it, what's going on with the war right now in Israel? Egypt is still having say in this. It's a very complicated relationship. And all of this background is really just to say that Egypt is a huge stumbling block for Israel. It seems to make them fail constantly. Uh, going to Egypt is not the, road, the, the, the good place to go. Uh, this is why biblically they always go down to Egypt. 
Uh, yes, Egypt is south of Israel. Yes, Egypt is probably at a lower altitude, right? but it's also away from God. It's going down into Egypt. And what this means, okay, again, <laughs> what this means, all of this background about Egypt really is all to say that Joseph's life is over. He has no reason to survive this. No ability to come out of this on his own. He, he basically should be dead. In fact, his brothers and fathers are so sure that he is dead that when he starts giving hints of who he is, they still don't believe it. Because Joseph is dead. He's gone. He's got no way to survive this. He's gone. He is trapped in a world filled with idols, filled with all the things pulling him away from God, and yet he stays with God. What we're going to see with Joseph is what we're going to see with ourselves. There's no way we can survive this world. There's no way that we have any right to be anything but sinful and evil and nasty. It's no way. It's impossible. It could never happen. But God, but God, but God has the final say. The, easy example, the easiest example for me to come up with here was, was myself. Um, I was a teacher public school teacher for about six years. Uh, I finally left teaching. Uh, it was kind of a mixed bag. I, I wasn't sure I really wanted to leave. It was kind of it was time to go. And I was kind of forced out of it. And my, Amber was seven months pregnant at the time. Uh, I, I didn't have any other skills. I knew how to do nothing else. It's all I'd been trained for, all I'd worked for. I'd spent about the last 15 years, 16 years of my life studying and being a teacher. I didn't have any, any way to survive this. There was no way we could afford the house. There was no way we could afford to live. We were about to have to move back into our, with our parents. We were about to be lost. There was no way. It was impossible. It couldn't happen. But God. But God had a different plan. But God had a different idea. And God has the final say. The only way Joseph can get out of Egypt, the only way Joseph can survive this is because God is with Joseph. And God will have the last word. Let's start with looking at Joseph as he finds success in Egypt. Verses 1 through 6. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did, made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was all was on all that he had in the house and in the fields. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. What we see here is Joseph making the best of his circumstances. He is not where he wants to be. Let's make this clear. Joseph is not where he wants to be. He is in a bad situation. And yet, he continues to work hard and to do his best. He works to the glory of God, not to himself. He isn't using his poor circumstances as an excuse, 
as a license to sin. Yeah, he got dealt a raw deal. Doesn't matter. He's still doing his best for God. He's still working his hardest for God. He isn't stewing in anger. That would be sinful. And he has a lot to be angry about with his brothers. He isn't sitting there feeling sorry for himself. That would be sinful. He isn't trying to blame everything on everyone else. Those would all be sins. No, he's working hard. He's doing his best. And that's the principle we've got to take here. God has put Joseph, just like God has put us, exactly where he wants us. We don't have any ability. We don't have any right to complain about where we are. Because where we are, what we are going through, is what God has given us. Paul tells us in Philippians 4.12, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Contentment. Doing our best no matter the circumstances. Working for the glory of God. And this is why Christians throughout history are able to praise God no matter their circumstances. I had to find someone new. I tend to talk about Corey Tenboom in every sermon. She's one of the most amazing women I've ever, ever read about. So I had to find someone new. I couldn't just talk about her. I had to find someone other than um, Brother Andrew. So I had to find someone new. Okay? I found a guy named uh, Jacob Deshazer. Jacob Deshazer is the uh, Christian I decided to study this time. He was actually not a Christian uh, when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. But he was so upset, so moved by it, that he joined uh, and he became part of the Doolittle Raid. If you don't know what the Doolittle Raid is, that's the contingency of planes that went and attacked Japan almost immediately after Pearl Harbor. They bombed Pearl Harbor almost immediately. Um, and his was one of the planes that crashed in China, was taken over and was captured by uh, Japan, and he became a POW, a prisoner of war in Japan where he was beaten, he was starved, he was tortured. The Japanese were not known for being nice to their POWs. And while in prison, he became a Christian. They found a Bible, they were able to share it, and he became a Christian. He gave his heart to Christ. And even while he was being beaten, while he watched his friends starve to death, he was able to stay content and able to praise God for his situation. Not because it was where he wanted to be, but because it was where God had put him, where God wanted him to be. I'm going to bring up more about him later, right? But let's go back to Joseph. Joseph, his hard work and his diligence is sovereignly rewarded by God. Don't take this as some sort of prosperity gospel, work hard, everything works out for you. That's not how this works. That's not the message here, right? God does not promise us financial success no matter what we do. But in this case, in this instance, Joseph finds that success. Joseph is able to flourish and prosper in Egypt. But what's interesting is when we notice the focus on the prospering, the focus on success is actually on the Egyptian's house. Look at verse 5 with me. So it was, verse 5, so it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. The focus is on the Egyptian's house being blessed, not Joseph. Not Joseph. Joseph's success 
is about making someone else's life better. Joseph is able to be successful because he makes someone else's life someone else's life easier. Potiphar has an easier life, has a better life because of Joseph. This is what God does. Joseph is blessed by God, and that blessing extends to other people. God works for us so that he can work in us, so that he can work through us. We should be blessings to other people. When we walk with God, it means we bless other people, not ourselves. If the focus is only on us, only on me, then I have not walked with God. I have not walked with God. And what we can see here is a solid litmus test for how our walk with God is going. When, when we walk into a room, are people glad that we're there? Are, are people happy to see us? Do we make other people's lives better, other people's lives easier because of who we are? Or do we walk into a room, drop all our problems, and make everything much, much harder? Where everything has to be about me, and the focus is on me. Back to Jacob DeShazer, right? Jacob DeShazer, again, beaten, tortured, watched his friends starve to death, watched them shot, was absolutely not where he wanted to be. But he loved God so much that he was able to forgive his abusers. He preached Christ to them. And after World War II, he returned to Japan as a missionary to preach the Lord for them. God blessed Jacob DeShazer, and Jacob DeShazer became a blessing for other people. He brought them the Lord. What we're seeing with Joseph, what we're seeing with Joseph is the testing that God puts us all through. The situation isn't ideal, and it's about to get worse, but Joseph is learning. He's learning, and in these verses, he is learning what many of our corporate-driven world have forgotten, servant leadership. Jesus teaches that the best leaders are servants first. To be a leader, you need to be a servant first. Joseph, who was spoiled by his father, given this coat that set him apart, put ahead of his brothers, expected not to work anymore but to just be a tattletale, now must work. He must now get to work. He is now forced to work so that later on when he becomes a leader, he will know what it means to work and he will be a leader. My ultimate principle with these verses here is that God has Joseph exactly where he wants him. God will see Joseph out of Egypt. There is work being done in Joseph's life. And we can take solace knowing that God has us right where he wants us as well. We are learning and growing just like Joseph so that we can be ready for whatever God has planned. But as is often the case, things will get, better. Things will get worse before they get better. Right? Let's look at verses 7 through 13. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. 
There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time, when Joseph went into the house to do his work, none of the men of the house was inside, that she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And so it was, when she saw that she had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, and I'm going to stop there right in the middle because we're going to do that in a little bit here. But we need to start this section by making the obvious clear, by recognizing that sex outside of marriage is poison. Absolute poison. It will cause lasting, lingering problems that will destroy lives. That's what we're being shown here. Anytime in the Old Testament, anytime someone in the Old Testament commits adultery or has sex outside of marriage, whatever, it always ends in disaster. Always. Abraham and Hagar, still dealing with that today. Still going on right now. Jacob and his whole thing, that's what got us where we are now. All right? David and Bathsheba puts a huge mark on David. Half the Psalms are about how much he feels bad about what he did there. Every time it leads to destruction. Every time. And in our culture today, I'd be absolutely remiss. I would be doing a poor job if I didn't mention pornography. This is one of the greatest blights upon our society. And it's clearly not a new problem. People have dealt with sexual sin for ages, for their entire history of mankind. But we are creating an epidemic a severely weakened universal church is not ready to handle. That's what's coming down the pipe next. All right. Joseph, however, does the right thing. Let's finish this part, 14 through 20. All right. Fled outside, that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came in to lie with he came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out, that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came in to me to mock me. So what happened as I lifted my voice and cried out, that he left his garment with me and fled outside. So it was, when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prisoner. I'm going to stop there. We'll come back to it again. Joseph shows remarkable courage. Remarkable courage. He literally, literally practices 1 Corinthians 6.18. 1 Corinthians 6.18. Flee sexual morality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. It seems odd to associate courage with fleeing. But sex is not something to be trifled with. Not something to be messed with. We also see that Joseph shows remarkable self-control. I honestly 
don't know many men who would have the strength to do that. To have a woman throw themselves at him day after day after day, and he still has the self-control to say no and to leave. That's a very difficult thing to do. Remarkable courage, remarkable self-control. We also see remarkable honesty and integrity. I told you when we introduced Joseph, he's going to be incredibly honest. The integrity, the moral fiber of Joseph can't be understated, right? This honesty and this integrity is what sets Joseph apart. This is what makes him different. This is what makes him special. This is what makes God different from the other 2,000 idols that Egypt has. This is it. Every other slave, every other person would probably have just done it and not gotten in trouble. But this is what makes him different. And this is the story here, right? You see, we don't need to be Billy Graham to evangelize. We don't need to have a big name and a big ministry and do these big, amazing things. We don't need to spend unseemly amounts of money to do the works of the Lord. We don't have to do those things. But we will need honesty and we will need integrity. Our God is a God of truth. Our God is a God of honesty and a God of morality. And he is our, dedica- our dedication to his truth to that honesty is what reveals God to the world. Better than the greatest speakers, better than any amount of money, honesty and integrity is what reveals God to the world. And that's my principle. Right? These are the elements. Joseph is showing us the elements that build our witness to the world. And when we sacrifice these things, when we sacrifice our courage, when we sacrifice our self-control, when we sacrifice our honesty and our integrity, when we give these things up, we are no longer showing the world God. We've stopped being his witness. We're no longer living for him. An honest day's work is often the best form of evangelism. Doing things honestly, doing things well, doing things right is the best form of evangelism. Now for doing the right thing, for doing the right thing, Joseph is punished. He's punished for doing the right thing. And more unjust treatment means more refining. Joseph has more to learn apparently. Right? He does more than any of us could probably ever do. Survives way more than we could ever do. And he still has more refining. God is not done with him. Let's look. Let's look. Okay. Look. First, first, Joseph learns to wait. Let's read verses 21 down to 23. Finish that section. All right. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the prison and the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority, because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Joseph continues hard work and being faithful. Even in prison. You went from Egypt to a prison in Egypt, and he's still hardworking. He's still faithful. He is still being refined. And really what he's learning is patience. Patience. 
something we probably all need to learn. So that we could all learn to, right? And we can only learn patience through this kind of tribulation, by being forced to wait. By being forced to wait. Since I've moved to eastern Colorado, I have seen probably the most remarkable patience in the world. Absolutely remarkable to watch my father-in-law put seeds in the ground and then nothing happened for months on end. And, and I think God likes to mess with you because he waits for the very last moment to give you any kind of rain, any kind of moisture. The very last moment, just when he's ready to sell the farm and move away and forget this whole thing, here it comes. And he's taught you patience. And it's remarkable. There is nothing, honestly, I've only done it a few times, but there is nothing quite like seeing a big, dumb cow come after the one guy who's trying to help you. The one person who's trying to help you, and here comes this animal going to rip your head off. And it's like, man, I'm doing everything I can to help you, and he's coming after you. How, how these farmers, how these ranchers, how you keep your patience is beyond me. Because you're being refined. You're being taught this patience. Next, we'll see some humility from Joseph. Let's look at verses, uh, chapter 40, verses 1 through 13. It came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, so they were in custody for a while. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream, both of them, each man's dream in the night, and each man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them, and saw that they were sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with them in the custody of the Lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? And they said to him, We each have had a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. Then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph, and said to him, Behold, in my dream a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches. It was as though it budded, it blossomed, shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now within three days the Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the format when you were his butler. I'm going to stop there. We'll come back to it in a moment, right? But what we see here from Joseph is humility. He acknowledges that dream interpretation comes from God, and Joseph gives God the glory. He gives him the glory. Joseph also goes to these men, and he asks them, what's wrong? What's wrong? Why are you down today? Well, compare this to how he acted with his brothers, not but a few years ago, right? With his brothers... It was, I had this amazing dream. Let me interpret it for you, and let me tell you how you're going to bow to me. We don't see any of that anymore, do we? What we see is some humility. Instead of that pride, where he saw him only care about himself and the great and amazing things he's going to do, we see a humble man who goes to someone else and asks, how are you doing? Why are you upset? You had a dream? Oh, well, God interprets it. I can't take the credit for that, but maybe I can help you. And the principle here is that we show God to the world when we remain humble and care about others. We continue to be that blessing for other people. This is a hard one. I had a, 
I had an employee leave me this year. Got very mad, very upset with me. And he wrote in his exit interview that I didn't care about him. That I hadn't shown him that I cared. That was hard. It was hard to read him write these things, put them down into paper, and I didn't know what to do with it. I've had, to, I've had to chew on that for a long time. It has clearly stuck with me. It's been several months now, and it's given me a lot to think about. How am I showing other people that I care about them? How can I do this better? And Joseph is learning this. We still need to learn it. I still need to learn it. And finally, in prison, we see Joseph learn to trust. And we're going to go into the other dream now. Look at verses 14 through 23. Right? According to the manner for when you were his butler. But remember me when it is well with you, and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh, and get me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews, and also I have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon. So when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said to Joseph, I also was in my dream, and there were three white baskets on my head. In the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, and the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. So Joseph answered and said, um, this is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat flesh from you. Now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and the chief baker among his servants. Then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Joseph apparently needs to learn to trust. This appears to be the second time Joseph stumbles. I told you last time when I introduced you to Joseph, they'd be minor moments, right? Because we've seen such great integrity. They were, they were minor moment, moments. But Joseph apparently decides to trust in this man to get him out of prison. And he says, hey, remember me. Put in a good word to Pharaoh for me. Help me out of here. Right? He seems to be impatient. And, and really, can you blame him? He hasn't done anything wrong. He, he's not necessarily wrong here. He, he seems to have forgotten that this cupbearer isn't going to help him. And the cupbearer forgets about it instantly. Which is exactly what happens when we depend on man for our help. If we go to other men for our help and we say, we need your help, nine times out of ten, they simply forget. They're busy with their own thing. They're doing their own stuff. Our help, Joseph's help, our help comes from the Lord. It comes from God. We rely and we depend on him. And it looks like Joseph still has a little bit of that to learn. And the principle here is to trust God. Delays are not denials. Delays are not denials. It just means we need more refining. It means we are not ready yet. God's timing is perfect, and he will get us there when we are ready. Okay. As I come to a close today, we have to remember not to see this as a laundry list. All right? In this section, I've told us to be humble, be patient, be content, bless others, be faithful, trust God, be courageous, be self-controlled, and be honest. 
That, quite frankly, is burden after burden after burden. That I'm just loading. If you look at it the wrong way, it's just burden after burden upon your shoulders. And you have to realize you can't do that. You can't. We can't do that on our own. In fact, really, what we should do is just boil these down to two points. Two points. First, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Love the Lord your God. Second, love your neighbor as yourself. When we're doing those two things, when we love God above everything else in this world, when we love God through his son, Jesus Christ, the indwelling Holy Spirit enables us to act as Joseph. This isn't burden upon burden upon burden. This is a reminder to rely on him. He does it. He gives you the strength. God works for us so that he can work in us, so that he will work through us. It's a natural process. I don't want us to feel a burden of where we fail, of all the times we've messed up, of all the times we haven't done this. Because, goodness knows, I have failed in most of these errors. I mess these up constantly. And we can't feel the burdens of all the times we've failed. What we need to feel is an amazing sense of gratitude that God has done this for us. That God gives us the ability to do this. It's gratitude that we need. Not the burden of where we failed. Gratitude towards a gracious and merciful God. And if anyone today struggles to understand that gratitude, then I invite you to come to the cross. Lay your burdens at the Savior's feet and ask him to show you what he 